0: Hello! Oh, hello, and welcome to episode sixty of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, uh, and today with me I've got Emily Kerr-Boss. hi, right there, and Epidiah Rivershall, who who is a. Uh, hello. Has been a feature of the show the last uh, last month or so. Took a couple of weeks off, but is uh, is back. So, what have you been guys been up to in the meantime? Emily, we heard from you last on episode forty forty four. Um, mm-hmm which mm-hmm. was in uh, just before Christmas there. So what's been going on for you, and then we'll get to uh, maybe PAX East.
1: Lots and lots of conventions. Uh, we went to PAX East, as, you, as we were going to talk about, um, and then there was a bunch here at Intercon, which is a big LARP convention, um, and uh, also we, we our friend got back from Fastaval, so we've been talking about the Danish convention, Fastaval a lot.
2: Right. Awesome. we had Dreamation as well. Oh,
0: what's Dreamation? I don't think I've heard of that one.
2: Oh, that's, uh, um, that's one of Happens in New Jersey, the end of February usually every year. Mm-hmm. Somewhere mm-hmm. there, it's a really great um,
1: indie con for us.
2: Yeah, it's it, yeah. It became sort of a, a, a nexus for uh, indie conventions on the east indie like minded folk on the east coast.
0: Sure, so. sure. So at those uh, types of conventions, uh, is it just a, a playing toy convention, or is it like a selling hall, or do people just come up to you and say, "Hey, you know, I hear you've got a game. Can I can I buy it? Or how does that work?" Because I know when I go to a convention, there's always that sort of decision to make, right? Whether you're going to play or whether you're going to um, you know sell and talk to uh, people who are interested in your games.
2: Well, uh, Dreamation for me is is uh, I mean I, I sell some games there, but most people there. Uh, have already made their decision about whether they're going to buy my game and and if they if they were they've already bought it like it, right. uh, it's more of a gaming convention for me uh, and it's a chance for me to see what's new um, it's a, a lot a lot of people are there showing off their latest uh, work and what they their but it'll be a Kickstarter in the next year or so. Or
0: sure. Like was, so they're they're running it, or they're uh, they're uh, sort of got a booth or something. They're
2: running it. Yeah. There's right. we have we have a, a like one little indie booth there, and then uh, IPR has a presence there. Uh, the Indie Press Revolution. Yeah.
1: That's right. Um, Modern myths uh, uh, reps for IPR there, and so there's a really great selection of indie games to purchase. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's kind of fun because we we the past actually we've always done this where we just kind of volunteer man a booth um, selling our games directly, and then now it's right across from IPR, and so it's lovely to see people looking through the whole selection all together. Um, But playing is the main thing for me. That that's a place where I get to see a lot of people I don't get to see, and if we we do see them at other bigger cons, you don't have as much time to actually hang out and play together. And this year at Dramation we did a lot of uh, Jeep form and free form and, you know, like American or in the style of Nordic free form, so it was wonderful. We really brought a lot of uh, a a different flavor of gaming.
0: Right, so uh, how would you characterize the difference between Nordic free form and uh, what happens in uh, North America?
1: Um, when I'm talking about Nordic Freeform, it's uh, another name that a lot of people know Jeep Jeepform, that's a particular style of it, and uh, it's um, sort of like a cross between um, uh, LARP and Tabletop, um, you get up, you move around, you play, generally, um, but instead of like a LARP where everything's happening all at the same time and people are in many different places playing like right. little groups. This, um, you're watching scene by scene by scene, mostly um, like how you do that in a tabletop where you have one scene mm-hmm. and then you have the next scene. Yeah, sure. um, and you can actually also uh, sometimes use meta-techniques, like you can say, okay, uh, your character is obviously um, really angry, let's get an internal monologue from you and hear about that. And right. it's neat because it really enriches uh, the narrative that the other characters are giving because you get this, this internal depth and there's a lot of different things that are like that. So. It's exciting.
0: It, it sounds like, because um, it's something I'm, I'm... Well, I have been the last little bit, but it's, it's a resolve to the point it's going to be resolved now, but struggling with that idea of, um, of whether those types of games somebody can just jump into, whether there's a lot of sort of shorthand that goes on, a lot of experience that's required before you can even access a game like that.
1: Um, I've found that it's actually a little bit easier um, right. because... Um, there's a lot of processes that go on when you're sitting down at a table if you have a more uh, mechanically complex game that uh, that you have to sort of interpret into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least for me and from what I've seen for some folks, if you just tell someone, okay, this is the character that you're playing and we're going to give you this direction for what you're doing in this scene, you can act it out, um, and some of the techniques I think take people a while to get into, especially if they're already familiar actually with LARPing, because yeah. things like saying to somebody, okay, stop, and now tell us what you're thinking, that can be a real surprise if they're yeah, not sure. at all used to doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, um, I find even with games like, uh, like Fiasco or, or any of those those types of games where the, everything's a little bit more more free form. Even though I've played before and I've role played for a while, it takes like half an hour, three quarters of an hour, until everybody starts firing. Right, everything starts starts you going. You feel right? everyone's chemistry. Yeah, and, yeah,
2: yeah. The, um, some of these uh, G forms. There's one uh, called the Upgrade, which is um, it's it's based on like kind of a reality television show. The idea is that couples go on the show and. They might be having troubles with the with this uh, within their couples, and then they're on a tropical island, and they uh, are going to interact with the other couples, and at the end decide if they want to stay with the person they're with or upgrade to another person. Right. Uh, so it's kind of a horrible premise. It's it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a parody of the worst of American television. Right, right. Um, yeah. But what that format does when you have the GMs in that game play the producers of the television show.
0: Oh, yeah, and, sure, sure. Yep.
2: And you're basically playing out sort of, maybe not the last episode or like a clip episode, right? So, yeah. So you'll have the whole cast there and the producer will go, wasn't that crazy when you were on that camping trip and so-and-so right. tried to make that move on you? And then, then you go up and you do that scene. Right. And nobody knows what that scene's going to be, but there's enough... There, like you're not necessarily hanging uh, Mm. like you might be uh, otherwise, you know, like where you're just waiting for something to happen. Right. Um, Some of them do leave you hanging. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sure. It depends on, you know, how they're written and what their goals are. Uh, Right. But, yeah, some of them can be actually very accessible.
0: Right. That sounds a little bit like... um uh, it's a little less collaborative, perhaps. Though I mean, not that that's a bad thing, but like, with producers sort of calling the shots and and picking the oh, scenes, yeah. then it probably lets people get into it a little faster because the producers have probably done the game before, maybe, and they can sort of see the sort of things that have worked in the in the past. Is that is that accurate?
1: Um, it bo- it goes both ways. Um, a lot of the games um, there's a GM who takes that director role and really just you know says, "This is the scene you're doing it. Go." Uh, <laughs> um, but it actually, uh, the producers in Upgrade is a great example of how it actually retains the collaborative nature because right. every so often you can call a full producers' meeting where all the players who are playing their characters um, now become writers and producers for the show. Right. And so they, uh, you just have this bullshit session where you say, okay, so we're not hearing enough from Danny. Let, what can we do? What to spice it up so that right, it's more right. interesting? Uh, oh yeah, he's got a drug problem. Let's have somebody come in and offer him some coke, um, right, sure. you know, or whatever it is. And um, and then and that's actually fun uh, as a produce as the GM in that game because then you get to hear what all the players want to happen about their characters right, or other right. people's characters.
0: Right, right. And and so how long does the, do those sort of games take generally?
1: Some of them are quite short, just a couple of hours to play. Um, others take four hours, which is sort of a typical. Uh, in the United States con slot for um, a LARP, Um, and uh, uh, some games take longer, they can take the full day to play.
0: Right. Um, I often wonder whether people, somebody said, um, our con slot's going to be four hours, you know, at (laughs) uh, Gen Con 1, and then that's just become the default, or whether that length of time was reached over, you know, was sort of agreed upon over time, uh, democratically, like people said, this just feels like about the right amount of time to, to play.
2: It's, it's interesting because like I know from my own personal design process, uh, so many conventions say, yeah, we have a four-hour slot, right? And then I start designing a game and I go to demo it and I'm demoing it at a convention with a four-hour slot and if the game doesn't fit in that four hours, then I start designing it so it will Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. and I don't. I'm not even doing it consciously. It's just yes. like, oh, this game is taking too long, obviously. So now I got to fix that. And and, right. um, so it's kind of a chicken or the egg question, right? Like, yeah. uh, I, I wonder, you know, if if we're designing to the four hour slot because of conventions, or if conventions did four hours because that seemed about right.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. I yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you there. Um, the 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 thing about um, I guess if you're trying to write, I mean, three hours sounds like a long movie, but I could do that. I've watched a three-hour movie and I enjoyed it. Right, right. But I've never watched a four-hour movie. You, you know should, what I mean? They, it's, it's people's threshold for entertainment, of, right?
1: You'd have some kind of intermission if it was four hours.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because. Yeah, so just from people's experience, like they can conceive, like I went to Lord of the Rings, I know what three hours feels like, I can be entertained for three hours, but four (laughs) hours? Like has there ever been, I mean, I'm sure there have been movies that are four hours, but I can't think Mm of, I can't think of a single successful mainstream film that's...
2: Well, another thing to keep in mind is, oftentimes with convention games, at least in my experience, is that the first... You could throw away at least an hour of it. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, either making characters or just getting used to the rules, or mm. bathroom breaks, or
0: yeah, chats you know, afterwards.
2: Yeah. I used to game regularly with a uh, with a heavy smoker, right? And I discovered that smoke breaks. Well, first of all, we discovered that if we didn't work smoke breaks into the game, uh he would get a little cranky, and that would tank the game for everyone. Like, as soon as you figured out, oh, like, he wasn't speaking up for himself, I think is what it was. But anyways, as soon as you figured out that you needed smoke breaks, that would be great. But also, that helped all of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had these wonderful moments where we would find a little bit of a lull in the story, and we could step away Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of recollect ourselves. uh, Sure. Which is not something, uh, like, particularly for GMs, uh, oftentimes they're considered, you know, you want them on for the full three and a half to four hours. Right, right. And and they could really use a smoke break, you know? That's That's
0: right, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's something that I routinely do is call a break in the middle of any con games that I've got. For that that reason, you know, like, some people just need a, a moment away, like, particularly if it's a... particularly if it's a high energy or it's, you know, like a complicated or a uh, situation or, you know, complex things going on, just a chance to process that without having to process an advancing story, I think, is sometimes valuable and beneficial for the the development of the story.
2: Yeah.
1: For the live games that I write or run, I usually make sure that there's a break before we actually start the play, like after we've done all the, this is how the game works and, you know, maybe do a little exercises or something. Mm -hmm. And it helps because I feel like people come in ready, just, like, focused now, and they're not in the scattered mind state that they might might be from processing, like you were saying.
2: And and that's actually a particularly interesting artifact of this freeform culture in these live games is these uh, warm-up exercises. Uh, Like, before the game... um, you know that you're going to be dealing with certain things. Sometimes, like, I'm going to guess here, I might be wrong, but I think this comes from the larger live-action culture in the Nordic countries, um, where they might actually be... Engaging in particularly sensitive material or mm. something like that. Mm. And so they want to prepare people for that. But even Smart. with the the freeform, with a, just a four-hour game or a three-hour game, you might have um, some sort of warm-up exercise to not not just in the improv acting sort of sense, but also just to get used to what you're going to engage with in the game, which is interesting. Yeah. It's something that... Uh, we don't quite have with our tabletop that would be kind of neat to make.
0: Sure. Do you think that that's like you say because of the material? Like North American games don't, you know, don't get in general don't get into those sort of more emotionally charged scenarios or mm-hmm. um, scenarios that demand more from the players uh, outside their comfort zone. Is it like a we don't want to push someone there?
1: I think the overall gaming culture is more oriented on, um, uh, like, stress release and fun. Um, Mm. Certainly, that's the reaction that I got early on when I was writing games about romance that seemed a little more serious, and people were like, bleh. Um, And I I think that's definitely changing. People are open to a wider variety of topics now, Um, and um, uh, in the... The LARP community that we have in Massachusetts here, um, Intercon, uh, which I mentioned, there's there's a pretty good variety. There's some people who really deal with difficult topics or, or more serious topics, right. sometimes in a lighter way. Um, sure. But um, but I, it's it's definitely when you look at Nordic culture that is around Fostival and Nudapunkt uh, and Somalotikons, uh, people are like. We want the heavy stuff. Give it to us. Mm-hmm. Right, really, right, Really, really, really different. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's,
2: that's... <laughs> uh, say, even if you look at, like, video games, they do that as well, right? Like, hmm. uh, right. that's how you learn how to play a video game is by doing, like, the first thing you do in a first-person shooter is test to see uh, which way you look when you push on the joystick, right? Like, right, that's, sure. And that's always that's some true. in-game element. They're like, are you doing all right? Look over here i look over right. here, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and... Uh, I think it might be, like, making that connection to video games is good because when we look at the types of things you're doing in a live game, you're actually getting up and moving around and doing them. Yeah. And so there's a certain amount of ability to practice that that right. can be very helpful. Where when you're just sitting at a table... Actually, I mean, there's some games that do have a little bit of a practice, like in Dogs in the Vineyard. Vincent included the uh, initiation phase, which introduces you to the mechanics. It gets gives you a sense of what the dynamics going to be between you and the GM, um, and uh, and also eases you into the setting of the world. So it's there. It's just not as typical.
0: Right. Um, And mentioned uh, Fostervale there. Now we talked about a little bit about it. on a, on a couple of, uh, of episodes, but uh, that's just gone by this last week, and we were hoping to have uh, Vincent Baker, um, author of Dogs in the Vineyard and Apocalypse World, uh, here today, but uh, maybe you can pass on a few snippets, maybe that he shared with uh, with you, or things you've read on the internet, about this year's uh, con.
1: Um, well, I think it's uh, everything I read. I read with le- lots of envy. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been to Festival mm-hmm. twice, and uh, Epi and I went there last year for our honeymoon, as a matter yes. of fact, in mm-hmm. and yes. and, um, uh, and it's it's great watching people become exposed to Festival in free form. Um, you had an interesting experience, Epi, although you were sick a lot of the time. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: you were sick on your honeymoon. Well, I was yeah. sick towards the end of it. Uh, what happens is the the there's two conventions that they have uh, that they used to have close together. They're actually trying to make it further apart because of this. Um, the the first one is Fostival, uh and then a lot of people from Fostival who are at that convention. You know, and every convention comes with its own disease you know like, sure, like okay you everybody know, comes like, home
1: with a cold or whatever
2: yeah, yeah sure. because you get that many people into one room together and it's yes. really hard to, to control so fast of all a lot of people from fast of all then go on to this other convention which the name of that convention changes depending on which country is hosting it that year and sure. the year I went it was Somokokta which is in Finland um or which is what it was called when it was in Finland right. and uh then you had a whole bunch of people get together and take that whatever they got at Fostival and incubate it with many yeah. more international people. <laughs> yes. uh, and by the end of Somakota, I think about half the population was wiped out. Like it was, it was pretty uh, uh, grim. Grim. No. Uh, we were there. Jason Morningstar, who did Fiasco and whatnot, yeah. he was there too, and. He was laid low. I, I really should. I, I'm not going to necessarily go through and name all the names of the people who were uh, put under. But I was gone. I was halfway through that convention. I was super excited, and then I woke up one morning and I was like, "Oh, that's it. I'm not getting out of this bed."
0: Right. That's terrible. Yeah. they'd go all the way over the go over the other side of the world, and then second, <laughs> not be able to enjoy it. But you were able to soldier on, Emily.
1: Oh, yes, actually, um, which I attribute to eating, drinking lots of elderflower drink. I don't know if it's <laughs> true or not, but it's supposed to be a remedy against flu- the flu, which I didn't yeah, know sure. at the time. But right. I don't drink alcohol, so that's right. what I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking. Right, and right. I, I did get sick a little bit, but just, uh, just for a day, and it was yeah, not yeah. nearly as bad as everybody else. So I right. don't know. Um, and so we'll see this year whether they have. I mean, the the cons aren't one week apart this year, so there's more time for people to recover, for their immune systems sure. to revive. So sure. we'll see what the horror stories are. But but <laughs> the games that we've been hearing about have been great. Vincent um, ha- has told us uh, stories about Soldier by Mikael Beckgaard and Jose um, uh, Decorum, I think, um, it, which is uh, a game by uh, Trolls Computerson, uh, and. Um, uh, and several other games, but those in particular really, really yeah. struck him and mm. converted him to Freeform. Yay! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Although, I mean, at, like...
1: At least to liking Freeform.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like... Sure. I, several of those, it's a spectrum, I think, because mm. um, some of them, when I heard about them, I was like, well, that's is uh, That's snug right next to Fiasco. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they're they're, uh, it's just one step closer to the to the free side than than what some of our more freeform-y tabletop stuff is. Sure. I think I think that uh, um, uh, it, it was it was something I think we talked about in the previous one where we we got there, and uh, in our experience, since we were standing up and acting things out we're like, oh, so this is live action, right? Because that's sure. that's what we understand live action to be. Sure. Uh, and they kept saying, no, it's pen and paper, even though uh, many of the games you'd never see pen or paper anywhere. <laughs> you sure, <know>? right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and because to them it's not live action until you put a costume on, right? Oh, you know, so or, okay, sure. Or something like that. Sure. But, I, like, I managed to kind of, like – the main thing was, and I, nobody was saying this, this is something I, I kind of discerned myself. So if I'm wrong, I'm the only one responsible for it. Uh, but the <laughs> the difference I saw, and it was a very useful difference to me, was that uh, what they considered pen and paper or tabletop or whatever, uh, which included this free form but also included D&D and blah, blah, blah. Um, those were games where you could say, oh, uh, stop let's talk about what our characters are doing or let's, you know, you could engage what we call the, I guess, the meta. You could, mm-hmm. you could, mm-hmm. uh, whereas live form, uh, it was socially awkward to do that. Yeah. Like right. you could do that in the case of emergencies. Right. Uh, like, oh, I just broke my ankle. Can we stop the game for a moment? <laughs> no. Uh, you must then, play on. Yeah. Incorporate <laughs> well, your character. <laughs> you say that, but. <laughs> Let us be insane by your pain. I suspect that that's happened in, in some live form somewhere. Well, like somebody yeah. broke their ankle and they thought they'd be all badass and just play a character with a broken ankle.
1: Yeah, um, I'm actually, for any LARPs that I play or organize, or organize in the future, I'm actually going to make sure that we explicitly tell everyone that if you physically injure yourself, you have to tell an organizer. Right then. Right, it doesn't right. matter to me. I've actually seen this happen and didn't know till afterwards. And now it's really, really important to me because the, playing a game is not as important as people's safety and health.
0: Yeah. yeah. Period.
1: Sure. Anyway, go ahead.
0: <laughs> it's a, an <laughs> announcement from OSHA or whatever it's called. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> play safe, kids. Play safe. Yeah.
1: You're not allowed. You're not allowed to not say. It's <laughs> all there is to
0: it. Safety first. Yeah, so. Um,
1: so, so uh, can I say something about one of the games uh that that it's I cool mentioned? Yeah,
0: sure. Um
1: uh Dulce, uh um, Vincent was telling us a story about it last night oh, and yes. something that's really interesting about that it's it's a game that's set in um, uh is it World War 1 epi or World yeah. War 2? World, World War 1 particularly and uh so it's dealing with soldiers in the trenches mm. and um, and it's a very structured game and there's cards that actually give you some information about the background um, mm. that you're supposed to bring in um, uh one you know uh Vincent's card that he got was about um poison gas
2: sure. um
1: so he in his in when the the scene focused on his character that was an element that was brought in sure. um and um, one of the things that they did in the game was you had a sp- poem written in that period, that is about the boys going to war, and the mm-hmm. poem has this beautiful uh, structure where it's lively and happy, and you know, gung ho in the beginning, and then it goes deeper and deeper as it goes on to the point where you're saying, "Why are you cheering us? Our lives are destroyed."
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the game also mirrored that, so they got to be sort of these young, you know, guys who are trying to fight sure. for their country, and then have all these horrible things happen to them, and then. Um, the, each, uh, at each part of the game, it, it, uh, I think, that part of the, the poem was read. And so sure. over the course of that game, Vincent talked about how deeply reading the poem felt, how it affected mm. him, because sure. you were experiencing what it was expressing. And it was. so I thought that was a really great example of a really interesting way to incorporate
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> literature. From uh, just the, the slight little correction, like from my understanding, it was that it was uh, several poems uh, taken oh, okay. from different Correct. times in the war. Uh so, That makes sense. So the, the early poems were really patriotic because let's get out there and do it. And then yeah. the later ones were really uh, cynical. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and, that makes and, more sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see both of them, uh, both inst- instances. I mean, somebody set out to do that, but yeah, I think that uh, that having that, like making use of period pieces of poetry with all of the, you know, the, I don't want to say correct language, but the period language and the actual people like going yeah. through it or at least, you know, having first-hand experience of people that have gone through it would be, would be particularly uh, powerful. But yeah, that goes back to you know my own um, bias, I suppose. I'm not sure if I'd want to, you know, I, I don't know how... Um, for those that haven't heard before, um, my, my feeling is there are at, at least two axes, but two axes that I see them in, in role-playing, where you've got uh, emotional involvement on one axis, and you've got, let me try it like that, emotional <laughs> access, involvement on this end, Um, And then this way, you've got, like, tactical and... Have I got my finger? There we go. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) In that direction. So, you know, you've got these sort of four corners you can go into where you can have things that are kind of tactical but really emotionally charged. And then you've got, you know, these other sort of areas. And I sort of shy away from um, the... I wouldn't go so far as to say I shy away from emotional involvement per se, but um, of, you know, really getting into a story... Um, to the point where I'm inhabiting the character and experiencing all of those types of, of things because that's not, that's not for me at least, how I enjoy my entertainment. And, and I guess the end of right. play, that, that's what it is. And I guess people's... Um, and, uh, it may have something to do with comfort. It may have something to do with, you know, like, I don't really want to be sad about the war. You know, I, I just <laughs> like to... I want to play a patriotic soldier where maybe, I like, I die at the end or I make an ultimate mm-hmm. sacrifice, but I don't want the game to be... Uh, focusing on making me feel sad about the war you know uh, that that's just for me but I mean maybe you guys fit differently along well, that uh, line it's,
2: it's actually it's actually kind of interesting um, what emotions people are willing and would like to engage in when it comes mm. to entertainment in general I mean like we, yeah, sure uh, there are often times where I, I'm uh, obviously a bit of a horror movie fan mm. and there's for any good horror movie, when I go to it, there's a moment, many moments during it, where I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> why right. do I do this to myself? Sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, I mean, M can tell you, fairly recently, I think within the past year or so, I rewatched Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, right.
1: Oh, yes. I watched uh, 10 minutes of it with you, and that was enough.
2: Yeah,
0: the, the original one, the Dinosaur yeah. one, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's it's one of my all time favorite films. Right. But leading up to it, I had <laughs> I had like stress nightmares, like not not nightmares about a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but just and then like sitting down to watch it. Uh, I was watching it with Vincent Baker, um, who had never seen it before. Just sitting down to watch it, I was. Starting to really stress out because I knew <laughs> before you even watched the movie, you're like, fearful. yeah. I mean, I'd yeah, seen true. the movie you're before, and I and I knew trauma, how...
1: anxiety, pre-trauma, yeah. anxiety.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> such a good film because of that. But but the the thing is, is like I I will engage in that, and I'll get excited about that, and I will do that, right? Uh, but then if you were like. Hey Epi, you, you want to go uh, watch Grave of the Fireflies? I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but it's a yeah. it's an anime about the firebombing of Japan during World War II. Sure. Uh, it is. I saw that one once and went through an entire box of Kleenex crying. Mm. Like it, it is one of the saddest films ever. And you're like, hey, you want to go see that again? I'm I'd be like, I, no. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to mm. see it the first time. <laughs> um, but or it, both, maybe
1: you're glad to have seen it once, but it's right, too, yeah. too much to go through again.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, but these are both like very uh, big emotions, right? Like, they're both mm. you know equally stressful emotions. Uh, but I'm I- repeatedly engaging in one over the other, um, mm. and that's interesting. Like it's not really what you would expect. Uh especially since I don't go and watch too many romances, right? What? Which would be like another strong emotion, but the kind where you would feel uh I guess less plowed over like you do in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hey Eppy, speaking of which, um, I see behind yeah. you on the shelf, uh growing up there, could you grab that? Oh, I can't really read it too well. Oh, there it is. There okay, go. there we go. Um, so I just wanted to bring up this is an example of a different kind of freeform that's not as like gut punchy. Um, right. uh, our friend Anna Westerling from Sweden, she wrote that and it's basically a a freeform version of um, sense and sensibility, the Jane Austen. Nice,
0: drama. yeah, yeah, sure I could get into that.
1: Yeah, and it's um you know it it has its serious side. You know, there's some issues mm. that it deals with, but it's mostly just this wonderful romantic story that um, and you know it deals with friendship and love and all the, all the things that are in the book and um, a friend of ours uh, Evan Turner who's um, also been to festival with his wife Kat and and he he and she have started writing preform too he was saying how big an impression uh, growing up made on him because he realized oh <clears throat> I can make books and films um, for people to experience you know he, he you know he said after playing this for three or four hours, he had never read the book but now he knew it and then he they went and like watched a movie based on it and he's like oh yeah yeah I know that character but that's not how it happened in our game <laughs> that's not our right. version right. Um, so it's it's interesting that even this kind of thing is kind of a little new to our community of game like the topics that we would play right. but it's also right. fun and engaging and not quite as like emotional hangover you know yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that, I just had a thought um, as you were describing Epi um the Fireflies. Um, I'm sorry, I'm
2: probably
0: mis. I didn't. I Grave of the, the Fireflies? Okay, and uh, also then the chain Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, and then talking about. I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of that game you were talking about. Or the No, 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 no. Sorry, the, the romance game that you just. Oh, the growing made- up. Oh, growing up. Oh, gr- okay, growing up. Yeah. Um, I when I think about those sort of two experiences, I wonder whether. Like I could I could totally see myself playing like a like one of those romance. Type games um, because I could because I could inhabit a different character doing that more easily um, and much more disconnected from myself than I could say something about war like uh, my grandfather both of my grandfathers fought in the in the Second World War mm. um, and they both they both survived fortunately but my great uncle yeah. um, was um, worked at uh, Bletchley Park. In England, like I don't. Know, Bletchley Park is where they did the code cracking for oh. um, for the Second War. They had the Enigma machine, and he worked at Bletchley wow. Park with Alan Turing, who was uh, like wow. the like the guy that was persecuted for you know. Be- I mean, ridiculously, yeah. um, you know, was basically it's a real tragedy. Him. Yeah, considering what he did for the nation, and then for, to have that happen. But yeah, my my great uncle. Um, like there was so much stress and pressure and stuff that after the after the war, you know, like after all of this stuff had sort of finally gone away and it's probably the same, you know, when you're, if you're working super busy for a long time, um, then you're suddenly like, you get to the end of this massive project and suddenly you come down with something and you're, because you're not running on adrenaline and stuff, anyway. So he, um, he ended up, uh, actually having like a psychotic break and getting lobotomized like oh. um, oh and he was i mean obviously he was never oh. the same again after that but you know the so sorry but, but yeah and then the and then you know like he, he because he couldn't walk properly and stuff you know kids would would spit on him in the street and stuff oh like that as he God. went and all that sort of you know just Hot, like Ugh. and so I just can't do war stuff because yeah. you know I can feel. I mean, at least I can't do it emotionally involved war stuff. You know, like sort of not yeah. necessarily just heroic, but I'm um, not too emotionally deep type stuff. Um, I just can't do because I can so easily access the emotions that I have associated with what people give in war. And I'm like, you know, like I've I've been there. I've processed that stuff. Um, and yeah. it just makes me sad to think about it, so I don't want to. I don't want to go into that because I feel like there's nothing. I mean, obviously, I can never have a first-hand experience, or at least I hope I never have a first-hand experience of war, um, or that I'm asked to make those <coughs> kind of sacrifices, but. Yep, so. and, but I'm just not interested. In, but that ro- the romantic one, I'm like, yeah, that'd be that'd be fun. That strikes me as being something that I could <laughs> like, could easily do, like pretend to be a sort of emotionally overwrought or cold <laughs> and distant, or you know, the sort of things that are required to to fill out a, a sort of a cadre of players and that. But but the war yeah. thing, I just think it'd be just it would, for me at least, it'd be too much of a drag. And maybe that's the similar for you, Epi, when it comes to the Texas <coughs> Chainsaw Massacre and uh, <laughs> like you you you're okay with that. Like you like accessing those feelings of fear and trepidation because few it is ultimately entertaining, but maybe some others like the romance when you kind of like, that's an area that, you know, I can too readily access my uh, emotion. It becomes too real for me too fast. And I don't want to, I don't want to go there. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but
2: no, I mean, that definitely is a possibility. Like, like, um, I think it's a topic worthy of, of study. Um, um, and I'm, and I know that people have studied it. Like, so I'm, mm. I'm not. Um, but, uh, like, for instance, it, uh, the people have studied the problem of horror films. Like, why do people enjoy horror films? Yeah. Uh, it, it, on the face of it, when you just write it down and say it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, mm. but there's oh, hold on one second.
0: That's exciting. <laughs> that's, me. that's that's an exciting ring.
2: It is. That's my, that's my phone's alarm to tell me
0: feed the cat. Uh, no, change the cat litter.
2: Yep, yep. Yes, <laughs> I've been on this show long enough for that. Uh, <laughs> and for some reason, when I silence my phone, it doesn't work for that alarm.
0: Right, it's oh, probably um, just as well. We've got one viewer at the moment, apparently of our of our cast here. Um, so I'm wondering if uh, if they have remembered also to uh, change their change the cat litter. Anyway, so, so go ahead. So they're um. So you've got the. Uh, uh, I've, I've lost my. I've lost my three di am thinking about changing my cat litter, even though I don't have a cat. Um, <laughs> so people are studying horror movies. It's that's cats. right. That's right. Public service <laughs> absolutely.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it, I mean, it's a it's a question. Like, why 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 do this? I I remember. Um, uh, and there's a lot of reasons, I guess, and like. So outsiders will look at it if you if you don't enjoy horror films and you look at people who do enjoy horror films, uh you might say, Wow, those are disturbing individuals, right? Like mm. that like I don't understand why that's the case. Why um but what's interesting is uh I remember watching a documentary about I think about the slasher flick in in particular. Yeah. But um I think it was Wes Craven who was talking about all the people involved in horror films and saying almost to a person they're pacifists. Right. Like, like this isn't something that they're engaging in because they they want to glorify anything. Although, no. you do end up doing it at times. So, but, um, I'm way off track here. But I think it, it is interesting to see what people are willing to role play and who is. Um, actually, I'm going to segue to PAX, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: for sure. Go for it. There's a,
2: a very interesting thing that happens when you try to sell games at conventions. Um, Gen Con uh, is a well-established, gargantuan convention. Uh, mm. I don't remember how many people they had last year. Uh, but, I mean, I've, I've lived in towns that are smaller than Gen Con.
0: Right, you know? yeah. It's like sixty or 70,000, right? Something like that? or is it, Yeah.
2: It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. And mm-hmm. since it's gone to Indianapolis, um, Indianapolis has completely embraced it. Uh, and I, I, like I used to live in Wisconsin when it was in Milwaukee and right. I was upset that it moved to Indianapolis because it was a little bit further away from me uh, rather than being closer to everyone else. Right. Um, but, uh, it, uh, Milwaukee hated Gen Con, like, from, from my experience. Like, you wouldn't... If if somebody knew you were from the convention and you walked into their establishment, like a restaurant or whatever, you would right. get just poor service and blah, 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 But that's my experience. I was also younger, and kids, punk teenagers and whatnot, uh, often get poorer service anyway, so who knows.
0: Right, sure, but, yeah, yeah.
2: But, um, uh, but what... the. Th- what happens with Gen Con is we can sell at Gen Con. As indie game designers, we're able to sell at Gen Con. Um, we're going to
1: have a big booth again this year. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's
2: exciting, yeah, yes. Nice. Like like uh, in the old days. Yeah. Uh, but we don't... But PAX East, we sell like crazy. Right. Like, like Gen Con, we sell. And this is, um, um, this is all anecdotal information. Like, I don't... Sure. Uh, I don't actually have a whole lot of numbers to back it up or ever. But I know personally that, like, if I bring something to Gen Con to sell, I'm going to sell a certain amount, and then that'll be it, and I'll Mm. consider that a success. Sure. Uh, And I can bring twice that to PAX, and it'll be gone. Right. And I can bring a game, an older game to PAX, and it will sell like crazy, even though uh, if I brought an older one to Gen Con, it definitely would not sell as well as it did the year it came out, right? Like, that's right. Uh,
1: uh,
2: generally how it works. But uh, I think the reason for that is that at Gen Con, people are role players. Uh, they've they've found a game that they like, yes. and they're going to Gen Con to celebrate that game.
0: Right, yeah, sure.
2: And, uh, <clears throat> and maybe see what else is out there, but in general... I'm a fan of this, and that's why I'm at Gen Con. I'm, I'm, yeah. It could right. be D and D, Pathfinder, White Wolf. It could be, it could be the indie stuff. But sure, at Pax East, so many people there have never role-played yeah. but are so willing to experience something new game wise, and they're so willing to spend money because they're used to spending. A lot of money on video games, right? Right. Uh, that that convention is completely different, and right. um, it is very energizing and exciting because you meet people who are they cannot believe that something like this is actually happening. Uh, yeah. You know, like conventional
0: like, role playing, tabletop role playing. You mean?
2: Yeah, or, or like conventional or anything that goes beyond it. Like we had a um, so we do. Panels there because uh, right. it's a big panel culture at PAX East. Right. Um, people will line up uh, and wait to get into the panel. It's and one of the
1: most well organized, I think, as far as publicizing what the panels are, and yeah. consistently yeah. we'll have rooms with hundreds of people in them. Which right. I don't know at Gen Con to compare it again. We'll will often do cons and ma- panels at the con and maybe get five or six people, and it's just it's it's apples and oranges. <clears throat>
2: And it should be pointed out that uh, you can't talk about PAX East without saying how amazing the staff is. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sure. Uh, it's, what, they're uh, called the
1: enforcers? Is that what
2: the yeah, the, yeah. the
1: volunteer group is called? And yeah. they're huge and really organized and incredibly friendly and just great, great folks.
2: Yeah. Which isn't to say that the, and the people running other cons aren't, uh, it, but, like, this is a giant con and uh, they're, they're over the top when it comes to making sure that you're doing well. Right. Uh, they want to make sure that you... But, so um, we do a panel. Uh, we do several plan- panels, uh, but we had an experience this year where we did a panel... Um, what was you it? And Emily
0: it- are you talking about, or you and Emily and Vincent, or you and Meg and Vincent? We were can- both
1: on it. Yeah, there was two panels that we Eppie and I did together. One... Um, was uh, actually we ended up talking about things we're excited about in uh, independent right. role-playing game design. Sure. I thought it was going to be a 101, you know, this is how mm-hmm. you do it, but we mm-hmm. didn't, and that was the one, I don't know if this is what you're going to talk about, Epi, but yeah, people go for were just, their minds were blown, you know, because they... What, one woman came up to me afterwards and said my husband's been trying to get me into role-playing for quite a while we have this exchange I'm getting him into crafts and he's getting me into role-playing and I just it just hasn't I just tried I don't like it and it was mm-hmm. she, she went on and she said I couldn't believe the things you guys were sharing though we were talking mm-hmm. about um, uh, no- Nordic LARP. We were talking about some uh, a, a game project, a really exciting game project Meg Baker's been doing with mm. some other folks, bringing, uh, working with Nike to create games for young girls in Ethiopia as a sure. as a support and uh, you know, skill uh, raising thing, sure. and um, and just a lot of the different things we were talking about. She said, she went to her husband and said, "Why didn't you tell me about this stuff? This sounds great."
0: <laughs> right, right. Well,
1: I didn't know either.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: True. So we really reached. I mean, you know, that's just one story, but there were many people who just were excited to hear about different things going on, and it right. uh, uh, just was a great experience.
0: Right. And did you find that? Um, do you find that people are more receptive? Uh, to, like you were saying, that it, it tends to attract a different uh, group of people, uh, group of people, and the panels are are much larger. Um, so, do you find that people are really receptive to your ideas? And the reason that um, I'm asking this is that earlier on in the week I was reading a post by Ryan Macklin, who, who's never short of, of an opinion, but he was saying that um, he did some panels uh, recently and he found the number of people that want to make comments as opposed to people that want to ask questions is um, like is something he's, he's having a lot of, lot of trouble with. People don't really want to ask something. They just want to say something.
2: Well, the, like one of the things um, I think... I think we do try to structure a little bit more like a discussion. Uh, the, right. So, one panel we did that Em just talked about was the um, what's going on in indie game, indie role playing game. What's what's hot and right. um, <clears throat> and uh, and we just did, yeah, we just kind of went on and on about the stuff that we liked for a half hour, and then invited people to to ask questions. And that was, I think, generally a lot of questions. Uh, Then we did another one that was um, sex and nonviolence in role-playing games. Right. And it was about how to design uh, those things in a role-playing game that can't be resolved like two dudes trying to stab each other with swords, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, that one was a little more of a a discussion group. Like we had... We definitely had things to present, and we did present some things. Um, and then uh, there, we found out why people were there, like who is there to design a game. Several people were there to, because uh, they, they actually run campaigns, and they want to try and ease the campaigns into a new area or whatever, one of which I wish I could recall it's actually a campaign that they do they play and then they post on youtube and they have fans that follow them right sure which blew my mind i was, like, that, it,
1: was that um uh the woman who spoke live is that one you were talking about i think or? that might be
2: right yeah i think he,
1: yeah she uh, there's one coming up on april 20th and um i've got i she sent me information about it and um i could... I can yep. send you that, Daniel, if you want to post a link
0: or whatever. Sure. Well, why don't you, while well, we we'll be chatting, why don't you dig it out? We can we can announce yeah. it on air here, and then you can send me the particular sales that? Okay. Sounds
1: good. Uh,
2: and that one, uh, and this is the sort of thing that I actually really liked uh, about the last time I was at PAX East, is that the, um, the can-do attitude that everyone has. Um, right. Yeah. So there's no entrenchment there. Like, PAX comes from already, like, it's, PAX has only existed for, I don't know, five years, maybe? Um, Something like that. And, you know, it's the, you know, from the Penny Arcade where they're really already digging on indie uh, video games and the idea that anyone can do this, right? Like, this right. is... That's the what whole, the
1: webcomic's about, right? I...
2: The, the webcomic's about video games in general, yeah. I think. and But, like, the whole... Do it yourself attitude was really big to begin with, um, right. and which is great because you know uh, the younger kids, kids these days, are really <laughs> in, enthused with that because they have things that are available to them where they can do stuff all by themselves. Like they yes. can, you can do photography with your phone and you can post it online, and mm. you know, yep. or um, you know, the whole cosplay thing where they're making their own costumes and they're doing amazing things that way. So, we do this panel, and uh, people start asking questions, and this one kid mentions, uh, we were talking about, um, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, Uh, it might have just been trying to figure out, like, how do you provide information in a game, you know, like as a GM, and and, uh, instead of making it so they have to stab a dude to get it, and um, the... uh, just like uh, real life, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, um, my papers are so bloody; it's terrible.
2: <laughs> um, so this this kid mentions this game that he wants to do, where everyone is a mad scientist of a different uh, academic field, right? Like, huh. so there were mad paleontologists and mad uh, biologists, I guess, and uh, but like the more bizarre, you know, anthropologists, mad anthropologists, mad, right. yeah. You know. Um, and so we got to talking about that. And when that panel ended, instead of a bunch of people running up to us to talk to us about our stuff, a bunch of people just swarmed around him. Mm. And they were like, I have ideas bunch, for you. I want to talk to you about this. And there yeah, were a yeah. bunch of
1: different groups. People were going up to the pink-haired lady who yeah. had her amazing game that she was working on. And there was, and it was great because actually this, the room was set up as a workshop style where there were many right. tables with chairs around them, and Mm. that room itself inspired me next year for us to create some kind of workshop that would be more hands-on, that would be able to help people get into groups and work with one another, because the space supports it, so why not? And that's that's what they were responding to.
0: Yeah, it's a good idea, yeah, because I think that I know for myself um, that when I hear people talking about something, I'm kind of like, and then, and then this, and then this, and then this, <laughs> and that's really it. Really, sort of fires up my my imagination more so than I'm capable of doing if I'm just sort of sitting by myself, you know, um, uh, just listening to music and trying to like noodle through something. Like, right, I, I, right. ideas flow very freely if it's for somebody else's benefit. For my own, they try <laughs> up sometimes, right? So, so yeah, that's an interesting idea. That like, it, but do you think that if everybody came? You wouldn't, uh, with that idea in mind, you, that wouldn't necessarily play out because so, everybody would want to say their story and then mm. everybody would want to work on their thing. You know what I mean?
1: It needs some kind of structure. I, and
2: I've, I've seen that. Like, I totally sympathize with with Ryan uh, Macklin uh, about that because I've seen that happen in at uh, other conventions that we've been to where, um, uh, in particular, where we end up, like I like to get on panels when I can at conventions because it just it, it's a it's a good way to get your voice out. It's a good way to like people then are like, oh, what did what did you make? You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's you reach a, a larger audience and, and sure. I, I mean just, just economically it makes sense to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so sometimes you end up on panels like you know what's going wrong with my campaign or you know things that you don't necessarily. Uh, belong on. <laughs> sure. And yeah. um, and a, a lot of times with that, it's... it's uh, But I think that's actually part of, like, uh, some of these conventions with... The, the, uh, I, in my own head, I kind of categorize conventions as, oh, that's a cosplay convention, or uh, that's a gaming convention, that's a selling convention, that's a panel convention. Like, I, I, I know... What? How I interact with the culture of the convention, right. um, and for the conventions that I think of as panel conventions, um, I think they get their start as you know when they're really small, when they've got like sixty to a hundred people showing up, and they do decide to do a panel. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those sixty to hundred people saying, "I like this thing, and I'm just going to talk about it for an hour," <laughs> and yeah. so. So yeah. that seems to be the, 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 the culture of it. And the idea of setting it up as a panel with a lecture rather than just saying, here's the anime discussion room or right, this, yeah, yeah. this specific yes. anime, you, you know. Yeah. Uh, maybe what, what what needs to be done for some of those. Yeah,
0: like, a, like even a shorthand, like you can say a discussion of topic X, right, which means right. we are going to discuss things. If you've got two cents, Here's where to spend it. But if you right. want to say, here's you know, like, um, uh, this is going to be a, a lecture. I don't want to say a lecture, but you know, it's, like you say, some sort of word that lets people know that this is going to be audience participation, um, right. or this is going to be questions, not questions and comments. Or I'm going to pretend my I've got a question here, but it's actually you know a comment type thing. That mm. sort of thing's missing from our culture, perhaps.
2: I, th- I tell you. Like, so, uh, was it Kineticon that had the the trial M? Oh, the, the, LARP,
1: the, um, the, the cosplay trial?
2: Yeah, so... Yeah,
1: it was Kineticon.
2: This, so, I mean, like, I've only seen this once, and I only caught a, a glimpse of it, and what I caught was amazing. Um, but it was this... Uh, y- you could tell that this was something that somebody did as a laugh, one year, maybe three or four or five years ago, and it right. just was so fun that they kept doing it. What it was was this uh, sort of... the It was a people court people's court what? where you would have this trial and you would invite people who came in costume to come up on stage and be their characters held on trial. And what? the moment we saw that was amazing. This is... I can't even... This, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but they were going to put uh, Skeletor on trial. So there's a guy who had this incredible Skeletor costume, the skull uh, mask, and everything. Yeah, the skull mask, the blue body paint, yeah. like everything. Um, and just as he's about to to go on trial, it's a 18 or older event they, um, because people could end up saying things bad things that children shouldn't hear. Um, (laughs) At the door, uh, they were struggling to get the ID from a man in a full-on Cobra Commander outfit right? with the the mirrored face and uh, uh, regalia and everything. Mm. Now, Skeletor and Cobra Commander in the cartoons are voiced by the same man who might have been the most evil voice (laughs) <laughs> of all cartoons, it was Skeletor, Cobra Commander, and I think Starscream was was also. Yeah. Uh, oh, and and the original Montgomery Burns from The Simpsons. Uh, oh, wow. He passed away early on in The Simpsons uh, run, right. but um, so they had they had uh, Cobra Commander defend Skeletor in the trial. Nice. It was amazing, and at the end, he had convinced the audience that He-Man was a terrorist, uh, right, right. He, with this sort of like, "I should know what terrorism is," you know, that kind of thing. Oh, right. Was, right. Um, what a wonderful thing, you know, and and uh, yeah, and it's just because you gave people a room to play in, you know. Mm-hmm. It's-
0: That's right, because oftentimes those costumes. That, that's it. That's the end of it, right? I get to yeah. wear the costume and I'll pose for photographs, but I'll never actually, uh, I'll put the clothes on, but I'll never get to, you know, talk, yeah. walk, you know, or walk there, the talk, sorry.
1: <laughs> there are skits that happen. We've seen this once or twice a day, oh, right, like yeah. a, more like really con play oriented cons. Mm-hmm. And it's hard though, if you're watching them from outside of the culture, because they're impenetrable if you don't know whatever the source material is and a lot of times they're younger kids or they have some manga that they love and so I've watched some of the kit skits and been absolutely baffled I have no idea what the jokes are sometimes people laugh and I look around (laughs) (laughs) but somehow the, the, the trial Venue was more accessible. You know, like even yeah, if you yeah. didn't really understand who somebody was, you could understand what they were being tried for, and there might sure. be another character that they're in contrast with sure. that you do well know. So I thought
0: yeah, that was yeah. a really good
1: venue for uh, for people who weren't immersed in whatever the culture was of the particular costume.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, you, we sort of broached Pax East and then sidled mm. past the content of it. But uh, how'd you get on with uh, Vast and Starlet there? And how'd you get on with your games there, Emily? And and uh, yeah, what's what's the future looking like?
2: Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Vast and Starlight. Um, crazy good. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. So one thing, we, we we went there, and parking was a problem. Uh, I love PAX East. I don't love Boston, <laughs> and uh, and we can we can make that an entire episode if you want. To take. <laughs> um, no, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't get so. But um, it's a
1: good city. It's just very hard to drive in.
2: Yeah, right. and, and they have a parking problem, and the first day we arrived, their parking lot was full, their overflow parking lots were full, like it was it was nuts. So no, we ended up having to walk, not a huge distance, but quite a distance with our product, mm-hmm. uh, which has already gotten Em and I to l- start to look into hand trucks and things like that that we're going to start <laughs> right, yeah. in the future. Because we're yeah. getting old. We can't yeah. So I'm carrying this giant box of uh, 52 Dread mm. uh, and then we also have a box with uh, 2,000 Vast and Starlet. Right, right. And uh, I'd rather carry the Vast and Starlet I gotta tell you. Sure. Actually, M carried the box of 52 Dread half the way too because she tricked me. But um,
1: <laughs> What you gotta do. Yeah.
2: Uh, the um, yeah, it sold really well. We we sold at the convention itself. I think I sold a hundred and eight of the core rule book, and then about eighty one to eighty three of each supplement. It was it's interesting because like one supplement sold one more right. uh, than the average, and then one sold one less. Wow. And I have no idea why I mean I know why the core book sold more because I think a lot of people were well not a lot but like several people were like well I have a dollar here what book yeah. would I get yeah. That's right, um, yeah. but it sold quite well uh, people were really excited about it uh, and uh, um, it's paid for its print run so now yeah. I'm I'm super excited about that. Yeah, that's like, uh, like
0: you're you're a hundred air. You were saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm a hundred air. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we we're just joking about. Uh, Is a way to sell a lot of games and not make very much money. That's mm, that's uh, yeah. But like, so now I'm in this phase where um, people don't run into me that often. So I'm selling it mainly through the mail, and the way to do that is I've got this extra hoop that people have to jump through where yes. they have to do a doodle. I was going to
0: ask you about your rationale behind that and, and what uh, what what you're hoping um, will come out of it or whether there's some big sort of project and the works associated with it.
2: Well, it, it kind of came down to... Um, Here's the thing, like this is a little bit of, of uh, pop psychology or whatever Epi's observations. Um, if you give <laughs> if you give people something for free, game wise, yes. yeah. they probably won't play it. Uh, yeah. And yeah. when I say people, I mean Americans. Uh, yes, obviously. The, uh, we can go in. But, anyways, the main thing is uh, they don't, I don't know if people don't value it. I don't know what causes yes. it to happen. Mm-hmm. But if you get it for free, you're like, oh, that's great. Thank you. And then that's it. That's, that's the, exactly, end yeah. of the discussion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so, uh, a dollar probably goes a long way. Uh, but mm. I wanted to sort of make sure that there was like one other. Hoop. One other thing that people had to do, and at first I said, "Well, you have to meet me in person, right?" Right, right. Uh, which meant, you know, meeting me at a convention or whatever. Mm. But th- I mean, that clearly is unfair. I'm not all over the world. I'm yep. not going to be able to get all over the world. Yeah. Uh, so, I,
0: not the, when you're charging a dollar for a game.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the moment I said that you had to meet me in per- person, there was like As a lot of cry. people. Yeah, an outcry. <laughs> I, I, yes, an outcry. and um, So I wanted to think of another thing that I would do because I wanted to make it this sort of personal thing. Sure. And I did. I, I said, you have to give me a doodle. It's a specific type of doodle for each um, each book. And so far, anyone who's ordered it from the mail has just ordered all four and sent me all four mm. doodles. Mm. But it had this unattended side effect that was just weird. It was a, kind of an emotional thing. Like I would get them. And I would open up these envelopes, and here's this little piece of art that somebody's done. And some of them are really well done. Um, mm. Some of them uh, don't have a whole lot of, uh, let's say, technical prowess behind mm. them. But you can tell they were excited to do, you know, you could tell yes. that people enjoyed right. it. Yes. You You could see where their imagination was going. Mm. And with every single one of them, I was like, I want to play with this person. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like yeah. I see, um, I'm trying to think of some of the examples that, I, that I saw, like, uh, a lot of times it was like the alien technology when they showed me some little bit of alien technology. Mm. I was like, I want to play in a game where somebody would think that up. Uh, and, right. and I happen to know somebody who could think that up because they just sent me a picture of it. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so that was it. Was really kind of cool. It, it gave me this sort of uh, connection with my audience that I don't normally have, um, right? And it's really made me excited for that around 1.30 p.m. every weekday mm. when the the postal worker shows up and I can hear them in my mailbox yeah, <laughs> just know, right, outside my nice. office door there, and I'm like. He's- as soon as they leave, I'm going to run up and see what's in the mailbox. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, just that feedback, uh, that, that validation, like because it's a uh, like you have to actually mail it. I think that um, you know that's something that's very difficult to elicit from people these days is is, is feedback because they want to just do their thing and then like some people would like to write something, but you know actually requiring them to go ahead and. <coughs> You know, put the thing down and send it off to you, and then getting that mail and the—I mean, that must be worth the price of the game back to you, right? Just like right. that, you know, like it's—it's—it's it's, it's not quite free, but you know, for the purposes <laughs> of your—you know, for you, it's like, well, this is great. You know, like I would gladly send it out. So, that's awesome. Do you have any plans for that? Those collected works,
2: the the um... the artwork that people send to you. So oh, so far I've got it on a Tumblr, the Vast and Starlet Tumblr. I think it's just Vast Dash I'm gonna find that right. out right now.
0: Sure.
2: Yeah, Vast Dash Starlet Right,
0: right. Uh,
2: and uh, I have to. I have a bunch of them that I haven't put up yet. Uh, um, I, I I'm not very good with photography, as it turns out. I don't. Uh, a lot of these can't be scanned um, because they've done some three-dimensional interesting thing with it, like, wow, one person um, taped coins, so the payment for the game was taped to the artwork, right. uh, with drawings on the coins, and the coins were like, oh, that's those are the two moons over this planet, or... Right, you know, nice. the, yeah, cool. Um, uh, although, some of them can be scanned, and I just don't... Uh, I, I gotta borrow Emily's scanner, I guess, is what mm. I need to do, because uh, right. I keep trying to take the pictures with my phone which seems to work well in most situations, but not when it comes to taking these pictures. They show right. up a little dark. Sure. Um, but, yeah, uh, I've got a bunch that I'm going to keep putting up, and uh, I'm going to keep doing that until um, I get really sick and bored of it, and then I guess I'll figure something else to do with it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, that's uh, sort of like almost a good source book for uh, for people, right? Like to have those, have those yeah. things there and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've got Dingo a couple of ideas there, which are maybe inspired. I should do that. That's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, have you got anything else for us, there, Emily? We've been going for about an hour now, so maybe we'll save a little bit more talk about nano games for next week, and maybe we can encourage Vincent to come along and talk about uh, his as well.
2: Oh yeah, sounds
0: good. So, anything else for us, Emily, before we sign off for today?
1: Oh, just you had asked how games were for me at Pax East, and it was really yes. great. I had a good con too, and well, uh, it plenty. was. Um, well, no, that I've sold the whole con. Right, okay. were oh, okay, how sure. some games are about playing and some games are about selling. And um, Dramation for me this year and Intercon were about playing. Dramation. we got to I got to run five Jeep forums, which was fantastic, and I learned sure. so much about GMing and, and mm-hmm. running these games. And um, uh, and Intercon was great. I got to help do a whole bunch of different wide variety of LARP to free forum, etc. And um, then. And sold a few games at those, um, or at Dreamation anyway. But then PAX, all I did was talk with people about through the whole con, mostly mm. helping out at the booth and you know, um, pitching people's games. You know, we had a whole bunch of us at the Indie Bazaar booth, which was right. a really great experience. And right. we had these wonderful volunteers who helped us out by by staffing it, and we um, covered their their badge. And we're gonna mm. definitely do that again and see what more we can do for these guys because they were amazing. Sure. Um, and but then i i ended up spending the um, the game oh here's Epi behind me um oh dear say,
0: yeah. <laughs> wow it's that was location, like, special
1: Epi. It, it's time therapy time. we've you, got you,
0: frozen hippodamian there oh that's spooky <laughs> there's two of you now you've been cloned <laughs>
1: Oh boy! So, but Pax East was was really a wonderful experience of being able to talk to people about my games, and the panels were great because I did one more panel than, than Epi did, which was really just talking about um uh, board games. Oh, now he's gone. Um, and that was a wonderful panel too. That uh, a bunch of folks. I'll, I'll send you a link to that too because it's yes, actually there's a link of it on on air. Um, and um. But that just it, for me, it was really about making connection with people, talking to people about their games, talking to them about our games, and then being able to really have the games be appreciated and picked up by a lot of folks. So it was it was it was a great con.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, until uh, next week, it's been uh, Epidia Ravishol, who's in the background there. You can see Emily Kier Boss, and uh, so yeah. So tune in next week for some more chatter about something else. And until then, uh, keep talking the walk.